Welcome to Peace, Peace, Love, and Soup, audio nourishment for the heart and mind, with Brian Delaney and Tave Fashe Drake. Too many buses, trains, and cars, and TVs, and airport bars, and nobody here knows me very well. I've been on the road since New Year's Day. I've always depended on the kindness of strangers. Tennessee Williams. Hi, Tave. Hi, Brian. We're excited to announce the arrival of Season 3, the P-Town Trilogy, and our sparkling, shiny new website to go with it. Please check out peaceloveandsoup.com for all our past episodes, subscription links, photos, recipes, and much, much more. That's right. And this season, we're devoting its entirety to one of my most favorite places in the whole wide world, Provincetown, Massachusetts. In this trilogy of episodes, we'll be chatting with residents, visitors, small business owners, and artists of all kind about this quaint seaside town situated at the outermost tip of good old Cape Cod. And because we're a soup podcast, we will be digging deeper into the exotic world of chowder. I love chowder. And we found that there are as many types of chowder out there as there are varieties of people who frequent this magical and historical piece of land. That's so true. And I want to thank everyone who lent their voices and shared their soup stories with us. But a special thanks goes out to P-Town's own world-traveling musician, Zoe Lewis, who so generously provided the music that you'll be hearing throughout this trilogy. From one musician to another, let me just say, thank you, Zoe. You can find out more about her music by going to zoelewis.com. That's Z-O-E-L-E-W-I-S dot com. Well, without further ado, we give you P-Town Soup Part 1, Entering Provincetown. And sometimes when I'm all alone with just a ukulele and a microphone, as a feeling gets me by, it's when I first catch sight of the dunes, my heart jumps over the moon and the monuments, reaching for the sky, cause there's a So on this lovely day today here in P-Town, we're with Jay Critchley. Hi, Jay. Why, hello. Hi, Jay. The Swim for Life is happening on Saturday. Yes. And that's how I found out about you in the first place, Jay. And Brian actually had some experience with that. Yeah, well, I did the Swim for Life in 2005. I got a slight touch of hyperthermia. It is cold in September in the water. (laughs) But I had trained all summer. It was wonderful. (laughs) So you're very calm, even though you have this huge event. You want to talk about it? I'm numb is what I am. (laughs) Does it start small and then it just grows until the event day? Well, uh, you know, the original event in 1988 was just 12 swimmers. We just dove in the water from the boat slip and swam to Long Point. We got to Long Point, and we, we didn't have a ride back. We had to hitchhike a ride. We're like, oh, my God, we have to get back. <laughs> and now, of course, there's around 400 swimmers, and we've raised almost $7 million in 31 years for, like, eight different organizations, Women's Health and AIDS and Rescue Squad and Skip, the soup kitchen. 
it's not really what you think of as most soup kitchens because you don't have to have any qualifications to show up. It's a community place to gather in the winter. And Hillary, who was the head administrator, is involved with Swim for Life. But this year we had to make a big change. The environment is speaking to us. There's this big imbalance of seals and attracting sharks. So because there's very deep water out at Long Point where we start the swim, uh, and there are a lot of seals out there, we had to change the swim route. So we're no longer swimming across the harbor, which is kind of heartbreaking, I think, for a lot of people. And after 31 years, that was like the big challenge. But it's reinventing. Provincetown is about reinventing yourself. I've gone through many reinventions here. We don't need to go into those either. <laughs> Which one are we talking to now, J1, 2, or 3? I want to be one of the Js. Oh, oh my gosh, it'd be so fun. I mean, here's what I love hearing. There's this change. It makes us nervous but excited because we know we're doing the right thing. But I think that's what the bigger picture is, right? As we look at the environment and our world and how are we going to do things that are sustainable, we're all going to need to make little changes even if we're a little uncomfortable at first. Like, that's how we're going to get there. So I'm really excited to hear all of this from you. Yes, well, a lot of my work as an artist is based on environmental issues going back to the early 1980s. You know, my first sculpture was a car encrusted in sand down in the parking lot in Macmillan Wharf, and it was all about the environment and tourism and the petroleum industry, um, the idea of grains of sand and time. It kind of like launched my ideas as an artist. Mm -hmm. So the environment is obviously huge. And the project I'm working on now, you may not know, but next year is the 400th anniversary of the arrival of the pilgrims in Provincetown Harbor. I'm, I'm doing a deep study of the history of the Americas with the pilgrims as sort of a focal point. And I'm seeing that the arrival of the pilgrims actually created an ecological disaster because they brought a lot of cows and pigs and everything else, as well as lots of religion. So instead of calling it the new world, I call it the moo-moo world because whose new world is it? We could go on for a while talking about ecological issues. It's very much why I live in Provincetown. That's what brought me here, the ocean, the beaches, the isolation. Now, you started Compact in 1993. It's a cultural sanctuary made up of arts and the environment. It's a community-building, philanthropic organization to support living artists and the vitality of the arts. Tell us more about the Compact and its initiatives. Well, 1993 was a time when I was sort of getting into my art practice, and the Swim for Life, which I had co-founded in 1988, needed a fiscal sponsor. So... I created this nonprofit, and it was based on the idea of the Mayflower Compact, which is considered to be the preeminent democratic document of the colonies of the United States. So the idea of the Provincetown Community Compact is to create a new compact, a new dialogue, a new way of conversation with a more inclusive population. And then within Compact, you have the Swim for Life, the Dune Shacks, the Thinkubator, and the Ribbons, correct? The Ribbons, okay. yes. And did they all begin immediately when you formed the Compact? Things evolved organically, like they often should, but often don't. <laughs> no, originally it was, let's just set this thing up sure. and, you know, see where it goes. 
I also, as an artist, was applying to a couple of grants, and, you know, I needed a fiscal sponsor. But then projects started coming our way. There were two dune shacks available for management. These are historic shacks out in the Cape Cod National Seashore. There's no electricity, no running water. But most of the weeks are open to the public. And we do have various weeks set aside for artists. In fact, we have an agreement with the Fine Arts Work Center that we help subsidize. Last year, we started an Artists of Color residency based on Bethwell Jameson, who was an African-American artist living in Provincetown in the 80s and 90s who died of AIDS. There's a lot of people that pass through the shacks. What's happening in the off-season at the shacks? Basically, they're closed down. People, you know, board them up and let the wind blow around them and bury them halfway. And then in the spring, people dig them out and try to make it livable. When did you come to Provincetown, and was it to make art? I arrived here married to a woman. My son was born here. I came out as a gay man, but then I came out as an artist even later than that. So, no, I didn't know that I was an artist, uh, really. In fact, I think of myself as a born-again artist because I was 33 years old when I actually found my voice and found my passion. So I was, like, born again. It all happened here, you know, like, how fortunate. I think it's a magical place. I only lived here a summer, but I always want to get back. And every time you come over the crest of the hill from Truro and you see it, it's like, ah, you feel that same thing? I do. Uh, you see the sweep of the harbor, and sometimes you see the monument lit up at Christmas time, or you see the lights blinking. Yeah, it's definitely still alluring to me. I'm new to Provincetown. This is a wonderful way to start my first day meeting you, Jay. And I loved hearing your origin story. What other ways do you see people coming and reinventing themselves or making community? Well, I think it depends on when you're talking. I mean, things have changed dramatically here. When I arrived in 1975, the town was run down, beautiful, no condos, no Wi-Fi. You know, there were antennas on the roof for TV. Pretty much anyone could come and make it work here. You could work in the summer and collect unemployment. And then over the years, it's become more expensive, like it has in many beautiful places. So it's not as easy for people to just come and, like, go on retreat here, like I did, really. And people would come here. They wanted to change their lives. They've had some kind of breakup or death in the family or identity crisis. And they'd come to Provincetown and just kind of take in the elements. That's not as easy to do right now. As gentrification or higher costs of living start pushing people out, it makes it harder for that to happen. So how do we keep doing that? Well, that's a very large question. I mean, the town is dealing with a lot of issues around housing and trying to create jobs. I mean, one of the things that the Compact does is the Thinkubator project, which is to help people with an idea they can work with us, we can help them strategize about it and provide fiscal sponsorship if they can raise some money. Mm -hmm. And there's been six nonprofits that have come through the compact that are now functioning in the community that started with us. So that's created a real economic impact. What are the others? The Provincetown International Film Festival, the Tennessee Williams Theater Festival, the Provincetown Pilgrim Dog Park, the Cape Cod Modern House Trust, which is based in Wellfleet, and they um, look at some of the historic modernist houses and rehab them. And the Provincetown Commons, which just formed a couple of years ago, is a co-op workspace 
for artists in town. So those are some of the projects. The community is taking care of the community. Yes, it kind of evolved, again, organically. I think the first incubator project were the Dune Shacks. And then, you know, we've had a lot of small projects, too, like artists that wanted to build a little portable studio that you could roll around and, like, maybe raised a couple hundred dollars to do it, or people that have done films or books or other visual or environmental projects. So it's kind of a way for people to try out their ideas, and sometimes they don't work, you know, and that's part of the process. I might as well mention it right now. The reason I'm out on Uh the East Coast is I just brought my youngest daughter out to college. She's in a dual degree program with Brown and RISD. And that's one of the big things that these schools are talking about right now. Students have to be brave enough to fail and try things in different ways, try things you've never thought of before. And it was very refreshing to hear the dean and the president of these universities instilling that we're not looking at end result. Right now we're looking at process because sometimes you don't even know what the end result's gonna be. Like you're talking about these four different pieces of compact and how they organically came about. And so I think that's that extra piece with art and with community and with environment. Yeah, well, I think that as an artist founding the compact, to me, it's an art project. Mm -hmm. So it's part of the creative process trying, experimenting, thinking different ways about things. Talking of art, today's Friday. Do they still have the Friday art walks? And do you have pieces on exhibit at a gallery in town we can go to? I do. I have a gallery. It's called Amp Gallery on Commercial Street. And um, I had a show earlier this summer. The overall name of the project is Democracy of the Land. And I rewrote the Mayflower Compact as a feminist document. And I took an image of an 1899 painting of all these men signing the document, and I put the faces of different women in the painting. And so that's going to be able to travel. And where's AMP? Right near the Art Association. In the East End, then. East End of Provincetown, yeah. We're going to go there. I have to mention another organization. I set up a lot of corporate structures because a lot of what I do is to comment on the role of corporations in society starting in the 80s. And one of them is called TACI, Tampon Applicator Creative Clubs International. (laughs) I started collecting plastic tampon applicators off beaches in the late 70s. I didn't know what they were. Even though I had six sisters raised in an Irish Catholic household, you never saw a tampon or anything. <laughs> so I created Miss Tampon Liberty, which is a gorgeous gown of 3,000 applicators that makes a rustling musical sound when I wear it. Is that where Alexander McQueen got his ideas from? He did. He stole them. Yeah, I'm waiting for a check. <laughs> and then so I've gone to the state house several times with my gown on to file legislation in Boston to stop the manufacture of non-biodegradable feminist hygiene products, quote-unquote. The project obviously relates to marine debris and the environment and menstruation and toxic shock syndrome and all these things that are related with this project. I still work with the applicators, too. But And where online can people come and see your art if they can't get to Provincetown? Uh, jcritchley.com, J-A-Y-C-R-I-T-C-H-L-E-Y.com. And you're going to show us a piece you have here at the house? I mean, I could show you a bunch of things. How about you have a question? I see your hand is raised. My hand is raised. (laughs) I was going to say, I've heard it said that art breaks down divides, often in unexpected ways. And I think in no way more than in regard to soup. And it wouldn't be peace, love, and soup if we didn't ask you, what is your favorite soup? 
Well, I'm not a big cook myself, so, you know, I like to throw everything together that's around in a pot, and hopefully it'll last me a week. My mother calls it garbage soup. Oh, garbage soup. (laughs) Yes, but one thing that I always make are beans. Like, they're the foundation of my diet. Raw beans with a pressure cooker. And my favorite thing is lima bean stew, the big lima beans. Tell us all about it. We have not talked lima beans before. Of course, I hated them when I was younger. You know, the canned lima beans, horrible. But they're so chewy if you cook them just right. And I just put in basics like onions and tomato. Also, I have an organic garden, so I always throw a lot of kale or some kind of greens in with it. So it actually becomes like a vegetable stew. How much water do you put in yours? Do you like yours brothy or more chunky, stewy? Well, it depends on my mood. Usually I'll soak them overnight, so then you have an idea how large the beans are when you put them in the pressure cooker. But I always add extra water because inevitably you need it to make it work. And you don't want anything burning. All right, I want to see your art. Let's go. This area used to be open. But my garden has shifted this way because there's more sun. You can see there's already shadows here. This was the staging area. Let's go in here. Who's after your kale? Yeah, the rabbits just did a complete disaster on my garden this year. I've never had rabbits before, and they ate all my tomatoes. Oh, rabbits. So this is the septic theater in the ground right here. Do you want to visually describe it to our audio listeners? Uh, Well, it's a old septic tank, circular beehive-shaped septic tank, basically a cesspool, so everything went into the groundwater. They're not legal anymore. And it's very unique to Provincetown because all of Provincetown is a sand dune, not like the rest of the Cape. It's a geological glacial till. Provincetown was formed after the glacier melted, and you know, so a circle provides equal pressure physically to create a structure. If you ever tried to cut a square out on a beach, it it doesn't doesn't work. work. (laughs) (laughs) So this is a really elegant structure. It's in my backyard. And um, when you have a new system, I had to put a new system in like 25, 30 years ago. The Board of Health, they're supposed to fill these in because they could be a hazard. Well, for some reason they didn't. Now, you know, I don't know if the fates were with me But years later, I opened up the circle that looks into it. I looked inside, and I have to say, it changed my life, looking into that space. And so now we have the theater in the ground. So just an older tire with a sort of a rusted center, very artistic looking on its own in an abandoned sort of wonderful way. And Jay has removed it, and now we're looking down through it as if someone's taken a manhole cover off. And, exactly. And then? Now you're going to step inside. I am. Oh Do my I God. go first? Are you going first? And what is this statue of? St. Francis. And he's guiding Tave down through exactly. the septic theater. Exactly. And this is where we cover her? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> well, that's, it's been done. It's been done. It's so tiny. How big is it? It's about six feet in oh. diameter. The sound there is really, a, see the chime there? It's enough for me to spread out in. I started with a um, septic summer rental unit. <laughs> Airbnb. And, 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 yeah, well, they got the idea from me. Oh. <laughs> I had a TV down here and a bed and a little altar. You know, you could actually live in here. And it's cool, too, because it's in the ground. Well, the way our president is treating our world, this might be your bunker. It's a bunker, for sure. Well, it's cool. 
it smells wonderful. It's just this really nice, fresh, earthy smell. We've got the wind chime. There's some flowers down here. Oh, I'm just seeing there's some rocks in some of the concrete blocks. And some of them have double holes through them. Some of them are solid. Some of them are beveled. And then, like you were mentioning, honeycomb shape. Yes, it, it's very elegantly designed, and it's not going to go anywhere at all. It's permanent. I'm going to lie down for a second. We'll give you a quiet moment. Lots of insects and worms, and of course frogs and slugs. You know, it needs a paint job and everything. <laughs> it needs to be upgraded. Or not. If, you know, if I want to get a high rent for it. <laughs> There's an outlet down here. Jay has run an extension cord, and so you could plug in something. I've had a lot of performances here. For a number of seasons, I had um, a septic opera, Heaven and Hell, and I had opera singers from Longy School of Music doing a whole series of concerts above and below ground. It was a multi-level stage, and I've had artists do many installations here. I mean, one artist actually grew grass on the floor of the septic tank. See, when you looked down, you saw a field of green. It's magnificent. You mentioned toads, and you're wearing a shirt with a toad on it, and that's your Swim for Life t-shirt this year? And yes. Who's uh, that artist? Vicky Tomeko did this design, and um, it's a frog. You know, ancient symbols. They've been part of a lot of folklore and mythology. And, of course, frogs are very susceptible to the environment ecologically, uh, and they actually breathe partly through their skin, so they're sort of a bellwether of what's going on with the environment. So I selected this image this year because it seemed like it was time to really focus on the relationship of the swim to the environment because originally the swim was about celebrating Provincetown Harbor. It wasn't just to create a benefit. So that's what the frog sort of about. I'm going to come back out now. Brian, I want you to be able to see this. I will. I'll come down next. I'm going in. Here goes Brian down into the septic theater. Brian, what do you think Well, I don't know if it's getting out of the sun or just the enclosure. It feels like I'm being hugged by the earth without being buried. I don't have issues with claustrophobia. And I was telling Jay earlier, I appreciate the silence. Very grounding. Yeah. No, I'm having a good time. Goodbye. (laughs) I'm moving in. How much a month? You want to see the pair of ribbons? Oh, my God. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So now Jay is taking us to the studio to see the ribbons. Well, the prayer ribbon started in the early 90s when I was trying to think of some kind of visual witness to the event because we were at the boat slip, which is this magnificent deck on the water. And so we came up with the idea of these five-foot colored ribbons that people could write messages on. And so now we have over 3,000 of them. And uh, people aren't required to fill one out. Like anyone can write a message and put it up on a line and there's no cost So we keep adding every year to different events, and it's really become a living archive of really incredible messages and names and appreciations of people. The idea of them, it's not just for people that have died, like the quilt. It's for people that are in your life that you want to honor. And so we've expanded the concept of the ribbons, and we want to share them with the rest of the world. So we did a special ceremony here in Provincetown, and we incorporated the 40-foot strand of colored ribbons with 49 black ribbons with the names of the victims of the Pulse nightclub shooting in Orlando. Mm -hmm. 
And then we took them and met with the families of the victims. And then the ribbons were then installed in front of City Hall in Orlando for a week during the anniversary of the Pulse nightclub massacre. And so they're basically in storage uh, unless we have an event like the swim or we have the Celebration of Life concert the night before the swim in the UU Meeting House. We do this grand lifting of the ribbons with drumming at the beginning of the concert. And, and this year's ribbons, where do people, if they want to add names? Well, they can go to the compact.org, T-H-E-C-O-M-P-A-C-T.org, and go to prayer ribbons, and there's a way where people can actually submit a message that they want to put on a ribbon. Or they can come to the boat slip on Saturday the 7th between like 7 and 12. Wonderful. And probably by the time this airs, they can do this for 2020, right? 2020. There you go. <laughs> they can sign up and actually swim too, right? Oh, yeah. It'll happen. Yeah. I love that the ribbons, while they were started in the era, much like the AIDS quilt, to remember people who've passed from that, but then has transformed into a way of thinking about people that we have in our lives with us and appreciating them while we have them. So that's a wonderful thing. Thank you. Right. That was the concept. You got it. Well, I know when I did the Swim for Life in 2005, you get into this meditative state when you're swimming through the bay and intentionally thinking about people that I wanted to carry with me on that swim. And I actually veered off course. (laughs) And then I was all alone. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's why we have a lot of kayakers out there. But uh, I think for a lot of people, it was a very personal experience. They don't think of themselves as swimmers per se, but they know they can float. So they're hard to see, but at least you can get a little idea. They're hanging. Well, you can see some here. And how many are you up to now? There's about 3,000 of them right now. And uh, if you just pull any of them out, there's messages. Let's see. For Joe Pasek, patience. Randomly, we're just drawing from the ribbons, and Jay's reading it. What does this one say? If I keep a green bough in the heart, the singing bird will come. Rock on, Emily, Liz. I'm going to pull out one, and it says, God bless all the sober friends from New York City, especially Bill Hayes, with love. Tavi, do you want to pull a ribbon and read it to us? Sure. For growth, me, mom, my relationships with my boys, dad's 90th. So we're in the process of archiving them. They'll be numbered and people could access them. So that's a long-term project. Is there something you wanted to share that we didn't touch base on? Just that once you get to Provincetown, it's hard to leave. And uh, living in Provincetown has been a gift. I feel grateful for being here and being in a supportive community and a place where I can be an artist, whatever that means. You know, if someone in Provincetown says he or she is an artist or they is an artist, no one questions you. You know, it doesn't matter if you've sold paintings or you're a writer. In fact, one of the projects that we do with the Compact is that we have two writers' residencies at the Dune Shack. And when people apply for those residencies, we're not judging their work. All they have to do is say they're a writer and just submit a little short. And then we put all the names in a hat and pull the names out. So if someone's you know, published 10 books or not published anything, they have the same chance of getting a week. That's perfect. Isn't that what we would call providence? The word providence, yes. Well, 
Thank you, Jay, so much for being part of Peace, Love, and Soup's P-Town Editions show. I'm going to say you are now part of the Peace, Love, and Soup family. Well, as long as people start eating lima beans again, because <laughs> I think it's my new mission now to promote lima bean stew or some form of lima beans. <laughs> Thank you again, Jay, for sharing your creativity and your big heart with us today. My pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for spreading love. Peace, love, and lima bean stew. <laughs> the lima revolution is coming, I, I people. I haven't gone to that scale yet. Okay. We got to scale it up, as they say. I'm speeding down six. I'm speeding down six. I've been way too long. I've got my fix. Yes, I'm speeding down six. I'm speeding down six. Did you know Provincetown and the neighboring area was long settled by the historic Nauset tribe of Native Americans? They spoke an Algonquin language dialect, which they shared in common with their neighboring Wampanoag tribe. On November 11, 1620, while en route to the colony of Virginia aboard the Mayflower, the pilgrims sighted Cape Cod. After two days of failed attempts sailing south against strong winter seas, they returned to the safety of what is now known as Provincetown Harbor. It was there, aboard the ship, that the Mayflower Compact was drawn up and signed by 41 English pilgrims in which they agreed to build a self-governing community. The pilgrims came ashore in the west end of P-Town, but only stayed for five weeks before ultimately choosing to settle across the bay in Plymouth, Massachusetts. Fun fact, in 1654, the governor of Plymouth Colony purchased the province lands from the chief of the Nossets for a selling price of two brass kettles, six coats, twelve hoes, twelve axes, twelve knives, and a box. I wonder what was in the box. <laughs> I wonder too. <laughs> Did you know a contest was held in the early 1900s to design a structure commemorating the arrival of the pilgrims and signing of the Mayflower Compact? With over 150 entries submitted, the winner, Boston architect Willard T. Sears, based his design on the Torre del Mangia in Siena, Italy. The Pilgrim Monument took three years to build and was dedicated by President William Taft in 1910. Fun fact, at 252 feet, it's the tallest all-granite structure in the United States, with 161 steps and 60 ramps leading to the observation deck which has one of the best views of Cape Cod. Did you know there's been a documented gay and lesbian presence in Provincetown since the start of the 20th century? The first drag queen performance on record began in the 40s. And in 2010, the U.S. Census revealed Provincetown to have the highest rate of same-sex couples in the country, 163 per 1,000 couples. The Atlantic House, or A House for short, is considered the oldest gay bar in the United States, while the festival known as Women's Week is celebrating its 36th year of women's culture, community, and art this year. Go ladies. And since 1975, Provincetown has been the host city to Fantasia Fair, the world's first and longest running transgender event in the world. Wow. Whew. 
Fun fact, over the years, Provincetown has opened its arms to many famous people, offering inspiration and relaxation. Among them are... Jack Kerouac. In 1950, he wrote Part of On the Road, Up in the Dune Shacks. Norman Rockwell, synonymous with picturesque Americana, the painter spent time studying his craft in Provincetown. Anthony Bourdain, the culinary king, had his humble beginnings as a dishwasher in a Provincetown kitchen. Eugene O'Neill. In 1916, the playwright first arrived in this seaside wilderness, a grand place, as he put it, to be alone and undisturbed. Both Tennessee Williams and E.E. Cummings gravitated toward Provincetown, and it was common for them to drop in on friends staying in the dune shacks. In fact, it was in one of those shacks that Marlon Brando auditioned for the role of Stanley in A Streetcar Named Desire. That's cool. You're You're listening listening to to Peace, Peace, Love, and Soup. Soup. Come see my show tonight. 7 o'clock right here, all live vocals. How are we doing? Hi, welcome to Peace, Love, and Soup with Brian Delaney and Tave Fashe Drake. Hello, how are you? Will you introduce yourself, We're please? Yeah. I'm the one they call Mama Tits. And why? Well, because my tits are as big as Texas, and I love to take care of everybody, make sure they're doing good. You are know? you from Texas? Uh, no. Uh, originally a Northwest girl, Seattle, Washington. But now I live in Puerto Vallarta, Mexico, uh, and I do shows down there and do shows up here in the summers. You know, she's just a world traveler. There's a bunch of you Seattle girls here, right? Well, we do pump them out. You know, it's <laughs> it's kind of a melting pot for artists up there. And we all get to a point in the city of Seattle where you've done what you can do. And then we fly. And then you notice most of us are really successful. Yes, so it's yes. really great. I'm honored to be part of that team. When did you start coming to P-Town? This is my first summer. Oh, I am popping my cherry oh. as we speak. Oh. Yeah, it's crazy. How's your cherry doing? Well, she's been thoroughly popped. <laughs> It's a hell of a season. They, you know, we work hard here. We do, you know, four and five shows a week, and you're out here barking for two hours before your show, and then you do your show, and then you go out and you do promotional things at night. It's just like, I haven't slept since I arrived, but when it comes, it will be glorious. <laughs> Clearly, you love it, or you wouldn't be here. 100%. When you do what you love, and you do it for you, it's a lot of work, but it's worth every bit. I get to entertain people. I get to travel. I live in the flipping tropics. I vacation and work in Provincetown. I mean, if I complained, slap me. (laughs) You know, like there's no reason to. Do you have time to eat soup? Oh, I love soup. What's your favorite soup? Clam chowder. We are on the Cape. You gotta have the clam chowder. It's not as good as we do in the Northwest. We have Dungeness crabs, so we know how to do like the good seafood. We have those really good Northwest clams, you know, and even some gooey duck, but New England clams, they're good. They do a good meaty one here, yes. Tell our listeners about your show because you do live music. I do. So I'm a jazz and blues singer, a little bit of Broadway, a little bit of fun. I'm also a hilarious comic. They call me the sweetest potty mouth in town. So I'm dirty, I'm naughty, I'm flipping hilarious. And I'm also going to always give you a message of uplifting. My main thing about my character is you're flipping worth it. And if people around you don't appreciate that, screw them. Get better people in your life. Because everybody deserves to be able to shine how they are. You know, as long as you're not hurting anybody, be yourself and do it at a thousand percent. Because the world will appreciate it more so than the people who don't. So my shows always are good music, some stories about my life so you feel better about your life choices, some dirty, naughty comedy. You know, it's like going to church. 
without the good Christian fellowshipping. <laughs> I'm just a big old white lady, you know, but I do use my mouth to try to stop the perpetuation of the systemic racism that's built into our society and really point it out to as many other white people as possible that they are dripping in privilege and you need to open your flipping eyes and lift up everybody else around you and not be so vapid. Like your generation or the generation before may not have been physically independently responsible for it, but ultimately we are a part of it if we don't do anything to stop it. If you're not feeling uncomfortable, someone told us, you're not doing enough work exactly. to normalize the exactly. inequality. And I make people awkward all the time. <laughs> But aside from that, I try to affect change as well. But, but you know, it's like I even talk about it in my show where I say it's going to get awkward here in a second, but Becky, you'll be okay. You know, you'll get to your martini in a minute, but we need to hear this. And even if they just hear it for a few minutes and it makes them uncomfortable, that means that they're thinking. You know, if somebody's uncomfortable, it's something new. And it's maybe something that they're a little afraid of. And so if you get them to, to realize, especially in a group of people, that... It is okay to feel uncomfortable, but work through it. Then you hopefully can start to affect some change because it's not the people of color that have to do it. It's us. It's the white people. The colonialism needs to stop. The pilgrims. Yeah. I mean, that's the other thing like people yeah, yeah, talk yeah. about all the time here is like, yeah, yeah. oh, what do you think of the culture of Provincetown? I mean, you mean colonialism? <laughs> like, because the indigenous people have been completely slaughtered. I mean, granted, there's Portuguese culture here, which is actually really fantastic. That's something that needs to be shined on it more because the Portuguese community here built this town, did all the work that made it happen, and also opened their homes to people dying of AIDS when the rest of the world was slamming their doors, which is one of the main reasons why this is a gay mecca. I didn't know that. Yeah, that was something I learned this year being here. And that's why, I mean, granted, there have been drag queens here since the 30s. There's been cabaret here for over 100 years, but they needed entertainment. But back in the day, I mean, like I learned about how it being called Helltown. Tell so me about that. What I was told was that Provincetown had very puritanical roots for a very long time. And so it was very, very conservative and fundamentalist, like don't mess with anything. But the town over Herring Cove wasn't which is where a lot of the fishermen lived and there was a lot more bars and there was partying and they called that Helltown because if you lived there, you were going to hell. And so the whole Helltown thing is kind of expanded to the whole area because it's gotten so debaucherous and is against that puritanical thing, although it was a label given by the Puritans. Oh, interesting. And when did they finally kick the Puritans out of here? I still think we're working on it. Because if you ever bark the streets handing out flyers, oh, you find them. Really? I will say, though, that if your listeners are ever in a place where a drag queen or an entertainer is out flyering the streets and you make eye contact with said human being, take the damn flyer. <laughs> I have two at home. Yeah, take How another much? one. <laughs> Tell our listeners where they can find out more. Well, the easiest way to find out about me is follow me on social media. It's at, at the Mama Tits, T-H-E-M-A-M-A-T-I-T-S, either .com or on the Book of Face, Twitter, or Instagram. All the same, at the Mama Tits. You can find out where all my craziness is. All right, we're going to follow you. We're going to join you. We're Peace, Love, and Soup. I love that. I love you. Goodbye. I love you, too. Mwah. Mwah. Peace, love, and soup to you. Thank you. And Amen. to you Thank too, Mama Tits. Yes. Cheers. Yay. Mama Mama tits tonight, Go to Mama Tits' show. I always have been right. 
said the whale, can't you see? You keep me up at night because you harm my family. The sky's gone gray, my heart has too. And when I'm extinct, you think you'll say you knew. is crying drowning out my song here we are out front of the canteen it's a place that we heard has clam chowder that's very stereotypical of cape cod with a twist and we are going to hear about that twist from our fellow friend and peace love and super blair fell he was a contributing writer for our episode 10, A Soup for the Spirits. Hey, Blair. Hey, how you doing, Brian? <laughs> Let's eat this clam chowder, shall we? Hmm, fantastic. I don't, actually, I don't really think it tastes like a twist. I mean, it actually tastes like really good, solid New England clam chowder. I mean, in the sign, they say it's a lighter version of clam chowder, but this is actually a very heavy, delicious, succulent, creamy, bacony clam chowder. What do you guys think? Do you think it's lighter? On the contrary. I thought it was quite densely creamy. I'm going to even guess they put some flour into it. Oh my goodness, the gluten-free people must be very, very upset. I don't find it to be extra creamy. I do think it's slightly light. Just going to say, for me, it's a little milky. My bit didn't have as much bacon. I appreciated the bacon. I wasn't overwhelmed by the bacon, but I did enjoy the soup. Do you have a favorite soup? Well, my favorite soup has to be thick. I don't like thin soup. I just don't understand that. I mean, it's like I want stuff in my soup. I don't want soup. I want stew, like big giant pieces. I like a whole entire turkey in my soup. I like, I like, I like, I don't like to not chew. It's not food if you don't chew it. Well, you have beautiful teeth. Maybe that's why. I have very good teeth. That's why I like to chew. I don't like to waste body parts. But wait, I think regarding the soup, I appreciated that the potatoes were done all the way through. The little bits of doughy dumplings in there, the kind of interesting texture that I wasn't expecting. Did you like the leeks? I loved the leeks. I would have even had more of them. The thing I really like about the canteen is they have lobster rolls. And I've never liked lobster rolls. For those people that aren't from New England, a lobster roll is lobster with mayonnaise. And they put it in a roll. And I'm like... Okay, it tastes kind of like a chunky tuna fish sandwich. This isn't really good. So yesterday I looked up at the menu here at the canteen and it said traditional lobster rolls with mayonnaise or lobster with warm butter. Mm. So I asked the woman behind the counter who was Jamaican, which does she think is better? And she said, well, to be honest, the one with butter I think is more delicious. And I'm like, well, I'm going to try it. She was right. You could taste the lobster and, of course, the butter. And the soft roll, it was delicious. So now I like lobster rolls if they do it in butter, not mayonnaise. Mayonnaise is stupid. It's a waste. You're gilding the lily. You know what I'm saying? You're not gilding the lily. You're like, whatever on the lily. You know, it's not good for the lily. Anyway, lilies and butter are good. (laughs) Oh, 
Did you guys know that in Provincetown, but there's a special visa program where people can come over for the summer and work a summer job from other countries? And the countries that are represented change often. But for the last few years, the number one country represented in Provincetown is Bulgaria. But I've also met Serbians and someone from northern Macedonia. There's certainly some Jamaicans still here, but mostly Bulgaria. So it is an actual melting pot. It's a chowder pot. (laughs) Blair, when did you first come to P-Town and what draws you here? Well, I first came to P-Town probably in the late 1980s, and it was much quieter there. It was also much cheaper. It's gotten expensive, unfortunately. You know, it's an old whaling town, and you know they have a a history. Eugene O'Neill used to write his plays here. Tennessee Williams used to come here. Um, And so it was an art community. It was a radical community. It was a gay community, and it's been that way forever, but it's become extremely popular now. But still, it maintains that beautiful quality of, like, peace and difference. But there's definitely something holy here. There's no question about that. It's a wonderful town. Well, thank you, Blair, for educating us and for your opinion on the soup. Go forth and have a beautiful evening. The sun is about to set. What are you going to do? I'm probably going to just walk around up and down Main Street like you usually do here, looking at people. Are you going to take in a drag show? Uh, I'm thinking about it, but you know, one of the best things to do in Provincetown, besides the drag queens, besides like all the chowdering and showering and doddering things we do here in Provincetown, is to do the bike paths through the province lands. Now, all across Cape Cod, they have bike paths, but what's special about the province land bike path is it's up and down like a roller coaster all through the dunes. And for your listeners, I'll give them a secret. One, start at Herring Cove, bike to Race Point, which is the, one of the most beautiful beaches in the country, and then go from Race Point to Beach Foss. You spend more time going downhill than uphill. It's a good long loop. It's five miles. I don't know, but it's fantastic. Well, thank you. And now we're going to take a walk and see the sunset and then go to see some art. Moby Dick is feeling sick. Help me out of this mess quick. It was just fine until those humans came. We are behind the crown and anchor. There was a big, beautiful bush, and we thought, good place for a costume change. Tavia has transformed into a beautiful, slinky black dress, and I have just changed my shirt. (laughs) You've got a great shirt on. It's two-toned with cats on it. And we wanted to show up in fine form for the William Scott Gallery opening of John Dowd's work. Off we go. We are outside the William Scott Gallery, and it's an opening of summer work by John Dow. John Dow. And so it's very exciting, and Brian, the owner, was kind enough to talk to us earlier and said we should interview some of his art appreciators, and so this is the first of those. Oh, how exciting. <laughs> my name's Mike Gottlieb, and this is my first time in Provincetown in about 21 years. Uh, I live in Washington, D.C., and I just haven't had the occasion to come, but it's so wonderful. And the reason I'm here, actually, is my husband is here performed with Alan Cumming in a cabaret. Uh, He's actually from Portland, Oregon, so he's a journalist. His name's Ari Shapiro. Wait a minute, I know that name. All things considered. Oh, this is fantastic. We should know him. (laughs) 
And now you're part of our Peace, Love, and Soup family. He interviews you a lot then, doesn't he? He doesn't interview me at all. Okay. <laughs> he spends well, enough time interviewing other people. Now we've got one up on him. So we do, you. indeed. <laughs> and what do you do for a living? I am a consultant and an attorney. I've been in D.C. for years and work in and out of government. Oh, that's why you haven't been to P-Town for 21 years. That's okay, right. that explains that's it. That's right, that's it. <laughs> Mike Gottlieb, when I say clam chowder, what comes to mind? Well, so I'm not an aficionado. Um, I was born and raised in San Francisco. I know that clam chowder comes in a creamy and a non-creamy. I think there's Boston and New England. Well, actually, that's duplicative. So I, I don't know. Uh, my husband's an excellent cook, but uh, he grew up kosher, and I did not really grow up with a lot of clam chowder. So I think of the weather, I think of warm <laughs> soup during a cold afternoon. What is one of your favorite soups, and will you tell us about it? Of course I will. Why wouldn't I? <laughs> uh, my husband makes a really nice lentil soup, and he's been making that since we were together in college. Um, I recently had a lovely gazpacho which is a soup that um, my mother has trouble pronouncing. How does your mother pronounce it? Gaspacho. Oh, that's funny. Yeah. We did an episode a couple of years ago called Gaspacho. And oh, is that right? Yes, we did. <laughs> Celebrating gay pride. It's right. And we talked to Antonio Diaz, who is a celebrity hairdresser, and we got his grandmother's Andalusian recipe and oh, made that. that sounds nice. Was there anything special in it? Anything surprising? It was all surprising to me because there was bread in it, which I yeah. didn't know. You know, nice. you soaked that and quite a few almonds. And while it was creamy, there was no cream or dairy in that it. That sounds perfect. <laughs> well, thank you for peace, love, and souping with us. Thank you very much. Good luck. Nice to meet you. Nice well, to meet you wait, too. no, Bye-bye. I have more to say. Oh, no, we do. Oh, I'm so, oh, sorry. Just this one brief thing. So you, <laughs> it's going to be so. I want to make sure you tell Ari Shapiro that you are a very good interviewee. Oh, that's very sweet. You may, you may have to tell him. Okay. Take care. What's your favorite soup to eat? A bouillabaisse, for sure. Yeah. Portuguese bouillabaisse or Italian? Portuguese bouillabaisse because I believe that comes with like a sausage and I don't like sausage or meat. Sorry, Pete Town. <laughs> I mean, I do, just not in my soup. <laughs> got, it, got it, got it. The sausage is not interested in me here. What about your clam chowder? Do you like meat in that? Um, no, but I don't really do a lot of clam chowder. I like my clams, like, fresh. I mean, if they're in, like, a broth that you can drink or dip bread in, but I like to drink it. Yeah, it's delicious. It's like white wine, garlic, clam juice. This is reminding me of a Narragansett-style clam chowder, which I guess has no dairy in it of any kind. So it's just, like, fresh clams and onions and that sort of thing. I could handle that. Can't do the dairy. There's creamy clam chowder, but then there's Manhattan clam chowder, which is tomato. You know, I live in Manhattan. I've never had Manhattan clam chowder. I live in Brooklyn, and I don't think I've ever had Manhattan clam chowder. (laughs) Have you ever done the thing where you put all the crackers into the soup and you stir it? That's comforting. I actually like that. That's how I prefer it. I haven't eaten. Now I'm really hungry. Me too. Anywho, I'm here for this show. Here, John Dowd. Yes. Lives in Provincetown. He's a dear friend and a painter, and his show is tonight, so I'm here for that. We're really appreciating all of John Dowd's summer work here. A huge delight to see probably nine-tenths of it already sold. We can't afford his work, but tell him he's excellent work. You'll get subscribers who can subscribe and like and tell people to listen to your show, and then you can afford one next year. Yeah. I like the way you dream. (laughs) Do you have any P-Town stories you wanted to share? You know, people come to P-Town for weird reasons. Like when I came, someone wrote um, John Dowd's name and phone number on the back of a piece of paper. 
And they said, go to P-Town and then just call the number. And I did, and then we became friends, and I lived on his floor for a while. That's, as a kid, how I ended up at P-Town. Are you also an artist, like John? I was an artist, and I had a gallery here for many years. And I have a place here, and so I still come back every summer to get out of the city. So, Olivia, well, thank you for taking the time to talk to us. Bye. Oh, goodbye. Thanks for talking. Have fun tonight. Have fun at the party. Peace, love, and soup to you. My name is Tave, and this is Brian, and we are Peace, Love, and Soup podcast. It's significant soups with culture, cooking, and conversation, and we're focusing on P-Town for this episode. Will you share your name with us and our listeners? Michael Goff. One question for you is, if I say clam chowder, what comes to mind? New England. Do you have a favorite soup? Uh, Stone soup, yeah. Good liberal parents. Free to be you and me and all that. Yeah. You have a dog here with you, and I'm a huge dog lover. Miss Frida. Hi, Miss Frida. Yeah, she's like, I have not gotten any attention. (laughs) No, I'm loving on her. Will you talk about P-Town and what brought you here your first time? I first came here in 1990, and I stayed in John Dad's house. And I was here with a boyfriend. We were very much in love, and I found a picture recently, and it's like this picture of me stoned and in love. (laughs) You know, everybody has that week here. And um, after I did Out Magazine... I ended up doing Toll Road with Andy Toll, which is a gay news website. And Andy was a boat slip boy and spent two years at the Fine Arts Work Center. And his dream had always been to move here. And I was like, Andy, we can do this. We work from home. We can do this anywhere. So we came up here, and six years later, yeah, we moved here full-time two years ago. Yeah. Well, I appreciate what you're doing. I look at your site daily, so good Great. job. Thank you. I, it gets harder and harder, as you know. I mean, when we first got here, Andy and I have this like, publishing obsession. And so like, I can't be somewhere without publishing. So we started something called P-Town Hacks, which was a guidebook for people coming here for the summer and it's now in the sixth year and it's taken off and it's doing way too well and if anyone wants to come be the editor or the <laughs> salesperson we're looking to hire in their full-time jobs here. Great. Wonderful. Michael, it's a huge pleasure to talk to you yeah, yeah, and yeah. I appreciate you sharing your P-Town story sure. with us. Yeah. I love that. Thank, Thank you. you. Yeah. No, and I look forward to We're here with Michael Cunningham who wrote the quintessential book on P-Town, Land's End. And one, we're so tickled to be here with you. But two, we're wondering if you'll share with our... Tickle is all mine. (laughs) Share with our listeners a couple of special things about P-Town. Oh, anything at all? Anything Um, at all? P-Town is dominated by the Pilgrim Monument, which is a gigantic granite tower. And if you look at it from the right angle, at the top of the tower is a clear... Donald Duck face. Now pay attention please. The balustrade is his beak, the two arches are his eyes, and the very top is his hat. You have to look carefully, but once you've seen the Donald Duck face in the Pilgrim Monument, you can never not see it again. I read that in your book and it happened for me. <laughs> it did. I see it. Right? It's like the rabbit in the moon. Totally. Are you doing the Swim for Life this year? I know we did it together in 2005. We did, and it almost killed me. <laughs> me too. You know, yeah, me you know, too. sin of pride. I didn't train or anything. No, I have to leave town before. Are you doing it this no, year? No, I'm not. I'm going to be there on the beach to welcome the people back. I will give everyone a double welcome for you and me both. And what are your thoughts on clam chowder? I am in favor of clam chowder, Manhattan, New England, really any, anything that involves the words chowder and clam, and those little crackers, yeah, way into it. Now, 
Michael, we might know this story, but what brought you to P-Town in the first place? I had a, a residency at this fantastic local institution, still very much with us, called the Fine Arts Work Center in Provincetown. And if you are lucky enough, you get offered a seven-month residency with a studio and a modest stipend. And I will be frank, I came here from L.A. in the winter time, And by February of my first year, all I could think was, oh, God, let me survive this seven months and I will never come to this awful place again. 35 years later, I'm still here. Oh, my God, I love it so much. It was a pleasure. Thank you Thank so you. much. Have a lovely Thank evening. You. Good to see you. You've been listening to Peace, Love, and Soup. Audio nourishment for the heart and mind. With Brian Delaney. And Tave Fashe Drake. And finally, we'd like to leave you with this quote from E.E. Cummings. It takes courage to grow up and become who you really are. And one that's particularly poignant for this episode. What is straight? A line can be straight or a street, but the human heart? Oh no, it's curved like a road through mountains. Tennessee Williams. Her name was Janine, and she was the queen. I miss P-Town. So do I. And I know many of you out there listening do too. But luckily, there's still plenty left to share. Join us next time for P-Town Soup Part 2. That's right. Come back for seconds. We'll be dishing up another bowl. For past episodes, photos, recipes, and more, go to peaceloveandsoup.com. There you can subscribe to our podcast and sign up for our newsletter. We need your support. If you like what you hear, please leave us a review. And tell all of your friends to join us at the table at peaceloveandsoup.com. Because there's many a thing that a flower can tell you. Her name was Janine, and she was the queen of tulips, carnations, and chrysanthemums. And she'd sit in the dark down by Finsbury Park. Yelling tulips, carnations, and chrysanthemums. Ten pennies for one, a hundred for more. I've got pink ones and red ones and yellow ones too. Buy a bunch for your wife and one for your lover. Cause there's many a thing that a flower can tell you. Thank you for listening to Peace, Love, and Soup.